Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast, episode number 128 with Dr. Ava Lonsoft, who is a very esteemed engineering professor in two different countries, which is uh, uh, pretty awesome. And uh, yeah, really is kind of representing our first uh, earnest faculty-focused episode on teaching. Uh, This is a pretty quick one, but I think some really relevant, helpful insights about her experience transitioning to remote learning and uh, compassion-based teaching uh, as her sort of methodology, uh, really being open and accommodating to students. Uh, she shares why that's important, uh, and I certainly think that it is very important uh, given our the past year, more students studying online and that only increasing and more adult learners, all that stuff. Really need to make sure that we have faculty who are operating from uh, that compassion-based lens. So uh, ways to connect with Ava uh, down in the show notes and some resources, her own podcast and blog and other good stuff. And then uh, as always, definitely go check out the merch store and our Patreon. Uh, great ways to help support the show. Uh, But without further ado, this is episode number 128 with Dr. Ava Lonsoft. So we are here for this episode. Uh, I'm really glad of this season. I feel like we're covering a lot of areas that I've uh, uh, neglected just because I haven't been able to get anybody to to talk about it. But we have uh, uh, someone here that will be talking about uh, their teaching experience over the past year. Um, Just really haven't had a lot of uh, active faculty members on the show uh, so far. So really grateful to have some time to dig in with it, especially uh, so after the past year. So uh, we'll start out as we always do, Ava, if you want to introduce yourself and give a brief overview of your professional journey and how you got to be where you are today. Sure. So my name is Eva Lansocht, and I'm a professor of structural engineering at Universidad San Francisco de Quito in Quito, Ecuador. And I'm also a part-time tenured assistant professor at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. Now, uh, the way I fill in those uh, commitments is by mostly working remotely and then traveling to the Netherlands in the summer, uh, as my home base is in Quito, Ecuador. My background is as follows. I'm originally from Belgium, and I studied at the University of Brussels, the Vrije Universiteit Brussel, where I first did my undergraduate and first master's in civil engineering. Then I got scholarships from the Belgian American Educational Foundation and the Fulbright to go do my second master's in structural engineering at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. And then I continued on with my PhD in the Concrete Structures Research Group at Delft University of Technology in the Netherlands. Um, And in the years after my PhD, I've been working at both in Quito, Ecuador, as well as in the Netherlands, building up my academic career in these two universities. And the field of research that I work on, as I mentioned already, is concrete structures, which is a part of structural engineering. And my main focus is looking at existing concrete bridges, how we can check if they are still safe for the traffic that we have nowadays, how we can extend their service life. So how can we make the most use of them for as many years as possible while keeping them, of course, safe for the traveling public? And within that main frame of work, I look at a number of problems, specific concrete structural problems that address these questions with regard to safety and capacity of the bridges. Yeah, really interesting stuff. I mean, uh, at least in America, there's a lot of talk of infrastructure. I feel like there kind of always is of our uh, long neglected, uh, you know, roads and bridges and uh, tunnels and all that good stuff. So uh, very relevant uh, for sure. But um, 
you know, and I know something that you had noted uh, to me was, you know, your experience uh, teaching online this past year, you know, certainly noteworthy for uh, faculty anywhere, whether they're here in the States or abroad. And I love that you'll also be kind of bringing in a international perspective here. But um, I guess just, you know, we'll start kind of broadly and then we'll start to focus in a little bit more narrowly. But just talk about generally your experience teaching online this past year, because I know it was definitely a whirlwind for a lot of people just having to take kind of hard shifts into uh, remote learning. Yes, I certainly was thrown into the deep end of the pool with remote teaching as my normal way of teaching was always just whiteboard and marker. And I had zero to none material available for teaching through a computer. So my first semester, the spring of 2020, which by now feels like a decade ago, was we started the semester with no worries at all. Just the idea of there is a virus out there in China, but it won't come to us. We are, we're here in South America. We are far from everything. Um, but when we switched to, to online teaching from pretty much from one day to the other, it was a big adjustment for me. And I, my first semester was just survival mode. I have a, a three-year-old daughter who at that time was at home as well, destroying the house while I was trying to figure out how to teach on Zoom with all my handwritten notes and just nothing ready for online teaching. Luckily then, when um, when we got to the summer semester and I was teaching over the summer um, to compensate or to to give more options to students to be able to take my class over the summer, which is usually not offered on the summer because that's when I travel to the Netherlands. Um, but given the situation and because students fell behind on so many courses, we opened more courses over the summer. And our university decided to give us some extra time between the spring semester and the summer semester and to give us some professional training on blended online teaching so that we could make our homeworks for that course and, and try out things and get feedback from the educational experts. And that really helped me to explore the tools necessary for online teaching. But at that point, I was really still focused just on the tools and making it work. When I, once I got to the fall semester is really when I had the time between the semesters to reflect and think about everything that had happened in the past two semesters. And that's where I came to the point of thinking, well, besides just finding a way of delivering my content through a computer, I also need to focus more on reaching my students. And, you know, usually if I see their faces, I know I know how they are, you know, you see their faces, you see their reactions. Um, sometimes I come talk to you because something is going on in their personal life and, and that certain the connection was missing. So then I started to really focus on ways to open up the space in my class and outside of my class to to have these conversations with my students and to learn about how they are navigating the pandemic and what, what has happened in their personal lives to to be able to to have space for that and, and support them beyond just teaching concrete structures to them. And now I'm on my I'm wrapping up my fourth semester of teaching the same class in an online format. And 
I've gone through several iterations of my course. I keep learning from my students on what works for them and what doesn't to keep adjusting my material. But I think I've come to a happy medium between what works with all the bells and whistles and what worked from my whiteboard and marker style of teaching so that there is space for both lecturing but also active learning components through the the online medium that we are using. That's great because I think it, you know you're acknowledging like you know you have to have some comfort and familiarity with the the tools but also making sure you're able to sort of uh, have a gauge for sort of just like yeah are people understanding what's going on you know what I'm teaching how are they feeling do they seem as though they're kind of fully present or you know just explicitly kind of asking or engaging on you know how things have uh, been going with them uh, over the past you know period of time but um and I know it's something you know uh, that you ascribe to is sort of compassion-based teaching uh, that kind of embodies uh, those kind of emotional pieces. So uh, can you just explain briefly like what that is and what makes it so important to you to kind of teach in that way? Yeah, certainly. So this reflection came really in the time between the summer and fall semester where I was trying to make sense of what we all are going through globally with this global pandemic and all the the loss and grief around it and what I can do to give space for this in my personal life, but also in my classroom. And that's the point where I started to think about now, what are really the main values that I have in my life that I can bring into my classroom? And the one that struck me most there is compassion, as I've learned that for myself, practicing self-compassion on giving space to not having achieved much in the last year has been a good experience, or I should say has been my way of, of, of coping with not living up to the expectations, uh, the regular expectations while navigating a global pandemic. And then I thought, well, how can I extend this in my interactions with my students? And that's how I started to think of, well, how can I put compassion into practice with my students. And for me, that translates into a number of things. And the first one is really trying to build that relationship with my students inside the classroom, but also outside the classroom so that they know that if there is something that they need to talk about, something that has happened and they want somebody just to talk to, that I am there for them that I can listen to what's going on and try to help them navigate being a student in these very tumultuous times. And at the same time, it also means practically that I've made it clear at the beginning of the semester that even though we have deadlines for homeworks, that if something happens and a lot is happening at the moment, students get sick they're taking care of their family members of their their elderly relatives so they there is a lot of last minute things that happen that under normal circumstances happen much less so i made it very clear from the beginning of the semester saying well these are the deadlines for the the homeworks but I'm very flexible with that as long as you just let me know then because i check every now and then in the folder on our online platform if they're there. Uh, 
if you've had something that happened, just let me know later when I have to go check in the folder and 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 see if it's there. So I've I've, I've looked at a multi multitude of ways how I can put this core value of of me personally into my classroom. Yeah, I mean, and that's great. And I think it it on one hand is especially. Uh, conducive to having a positive learning environment in this moment, but certainly is applicable to any time uh, that is uh, not, you know, in the midst of a global pandemic of just being really empathetic, patient, flexible, accommodating with students. I, I think just like sort of existing within sort of the furthest bounds of what, you know, uh, any faculty is able to do in terms of running their own course, you know, it's just like, I think a great deal of academic freedom in some faculty, you know, again, it is their prerogative mm-hmm. for sure. But, you know, they choose to just be very strict, very kind of conservative in terms of like the deadlines are what they are. If you don't submit it, no late work, you know, you got to be like right on time. And, uh, but I know certainly in the environment that I've lived in quite a bit, you know, uh, really entirely uh, over the past like five years of like, you know, with online learning and uh, certainly with like adult learners and those sort of things, like that flexibility that you can give, that compassion that you can give goes a really long way uh, because these students earnestly do want to do the work, learn and, you know, further themselves to uh, get their career to where they want it to be. So, um, you know, certainly if they're being proactive and communicating and, you know, you, you see that they're trying to uh, put in the work and get everything done, then, you know, being uh, accommodating to that, uh, you know, just, yeah, it's really, really important. Um mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious because like, uh, you know, you just, you mentioned before that you uh, uh, teach in two countries. So I guess just like generally, you know, you mentioned kind of how you like coordinate that, but maybe even just in the context of like how you've navigated everything over the past year, like, has it been really like mostly the same? Like, are there any major differences in the way that you teach uh, the content between those two countries? Like I, I'd imagine maybe in some ways, yes, in some ways, no, but I'm just curious, uh, you know, what your experience is with that. Cause it's uh, I mean, nothing I've ever had exposure to. Yeah, certainly the, of course, the academic culture in both countries is very different with, I would say, engineering education in the Netherlands is very, very entrepreneurial. It really focuses on students either developing projects, they do a lot of these side projects in in, in their study teams as well. Whereas I would say traditionally Ecuador has maybe a more um, traditional, you know, sage on the stage kind of approach to to teaching and and learning. So certainly the way and, and that also that's not just higher education, but also what comes below that in the whole education system. So you have students that come from a different background that have different expectations about learning. So I certainly adjust my way of teaching to where I am. Now, with that said, at this moment, I'm not in charge of teaching in the Netherlands because of my part-time status. And most of the work that I do is related to supervision of master's and PhD students. But now that we have gone through this pandemic and online teaching, there is a, an opening there for me to to pick up teaching again and to start teaching modules within courses, um, time allowing and tech allowing. But that that's something that we're looking into at the moment. 
Yeah, that's sort of, I guess, what I expected. Uh, it would have been sort of like surprising if it's like, oh, yeah, it's pretty much exactly the same. Like, no differences between two like vastly uh, different countries. But um, yeah, just different, you know, learning cultures and stuff uh, definitely makes sense. So, well, I think with all of this, uh, you do curate a lot of amazing resources on your website that I was checking out as we were kind of planning for this episode. So I want to just kind of call that out, uh, give you kudos for putting in the work and kind of uh, sharing it out. So, you know, if there's anything in particular, they might want to just kind of highlight uh, as some of your, um, I don't know, maybe most frequently visited or your favorites or, you know, what you might feel like might be the most relevant for this conversation, you know, highlight some of those things and just generally kind of share like what has inspired you to do this. Because certainly some people like come up with these really great strategies and they might just kind of keep them to themselves or, you know, uh, only share them, you know, sort of anecdotally versus like creating a website and just putting them out there kind of freely. So I guess just talk about, yeah, the things that are on there and kind of what inspired you to uh, put in the work for all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To address your first question with what people can find on my website, um, there's a lot of things there because I, I write two posts per week. So there's a, a lot of content in there. But what may be most relevant for those who are listening today is that I've been sort of documenting my journey in online teaching over the, the past year and months and reflecting really every semester on what worked and how I'm adjusting my my time schedule and how I'm organizing my days around the extra time that I need to prepare and what has had to go in terms of less time for research and what has had to go in terms of content of my courses that I decided to to replace with other elements or just uh, reduce some content because it's it's just not the time to overload my students with work. And those are all elements that I reflect on as my blog is my personal space for reflection. And I originally started this blog when I was a PhD student. So more than a decade ago, I wanted to have a space to just reflect on what I've learned, not just in terms of the research itself, but what worked in the lab and what didn't work. And also in terms of how I go about doing things, like how do I go from reading a paper to writing about it in my literature review, what I was working on at that time. So I started just to write those reflections and I had had blogs before. So the year that I was my uh, that I was studying in Atlanta, I had my blog that I was writing about my adventures there. And now I'm going to sound really old, but before that I had a MySpace on which I wrote posts. Um, So I've been writing online for, for a long time. And originally I thought, well, this will just be another blog where I write some things and then it'll fizzle out. And uh, maybe after that I start another one or just let it die out. And the only one who's going to read it is, my mom, my sister, and my best friends, and that's going to be about it. But somehow what I was writing about and reflecting about resonated with people, and I got a lot of feedback on that, and I started to develop series of posts, such as the, I have a series of posts called How I Work, which are email-based interviews where I just uh, started to interview academics and PhD students and people in creative professions just to learn how they work, what the, the, the way they work looks like for them. 
And from there, I also started then a series of posts to learn more on the PhD defense in different countries. And then originally came from, I wrote a description of um, the, the first defense that I attended in the Netherlands. And after that, I attended my husband's defense uh, in the United States. And I saw, well, that format is very different. And at some point, I, I had been interviewing somebody for my How I Work series. And then she said, you know what, why don't you... Uh, and, and she said, well, my, my partner did his defense in another country, and it's so different there. Why don't you, you know, make a series out of this and, and start documenting this? And, and I thought that was a, a brilliant idea. And I've been learning about defenses and how people experience their defense, as well as what the format really looks like over these uh, past many years. Yeah, that's great. I mean, it, I know for me, writing uh, was sort of my first foray into creating content. Podcasting has kind of taken the uh, focus nowadays, but um, it always is just such a good exercise with all of that. Like it just, you know, you know, people journal or do whatever. And it's like, you know, helps you to process things, put thoughts together, especially in the idea of, of blogging where you're like, somebody else has to read this and like understand, uh, you know, the ideas and concepts that I'm trying to get across, you know, sort of similar to uh, teaching and all that. But like, you know, it's just been such a great exercise for me throughout the years to, uh, you know, create content on a regular basis. So um, to certainly grateful that uh, you've put in that work over all that time. Uh, and well, yeah, even, even since MySpace, it's like such a distant memory, but it's like, <laughs> it's not that long ago. But um, uh, yeah, so I mean, I guess, you know, with all of that, obviously, you, you know, we'll link out to uh, your website and everything that you have there. Uh, if there's just anything else that you're kind of consuming that is helping to inspire you, any other like books, podcasts, articles, websites, or whatever that you'd want to uh, recommend so we can include those in the show notes as well. Yeah, so one resource that I wanted to mention is a series of books um, that really discusses a, a number of smaller topics with within academia and uh, going from supporting PhD students up to faculty. And that is the Insider Guides to Success in Academia book series that is published by Routledge. And so far, they have published six books in this uh, series, going from what is about the PhD survival guide. There is one on collaboration in higher education. There's really a, a number of topics, and these are relatively short books. They are edited by uh, Pat Thompson from University of Nottingham and Helen Cara, um, who is an independent researcher in the United Kingdom. And I, I find these books uh, an, an excellent resource for topics that perhaps you wouldn't find in a typical book that helps PhD, uh, PhD students how to do research or that you wouldn't find in a typical book on you know, research methods, but that really helps people to navigate building a career in academia. Awesome. Yeah, that's great stuff. And uh yeah, I mean, it's something interesting, and I, I feel like I'll probably plant seeds uh, on this like throughout uh, future episodes of the podcast. But like, I've started to think about like I'm in my 30s, and I'm like, I think by the time I like I turn 40, maybe I'll have like my EDD or something, you know? Like, I'll start that journey sometime in the next couple of years and have that kind of trail off and stuff. But it's like, yeah, I mean, it's a whole world that is very foreign to me. Like, I, I, I 
would certainly benefit probably from just like uh, some primers, uh, you know, like that stuff you mentioned. So, um, but uh, yeah, we'll see uh, if or when that does actually happen. But um, so, um, yeah, I mean, we always like to uh, sort of wrap up and end the episodes on kind of just a final thought or call to action. Obviously, we're going to have ways to uh, you know, connect with you and all the work that you're doing and, uh, you know, your website and the resources that you mentioned, but um, just anything else just to sort of like tie everything up and uh, kind of inspire everybody as we uh, end the episode here. My call for action or final idea here would be for educators to really go through the exercise of figuring out what their core values are in their life and thinking about how they can implement these in their classroom, because I think that helps you put more personality in your teaching and not just rehashing what you went through when you were a student in a different time many decades ago in most cases. So I, I think looking at your core values and then reflecting on how you can put these into practice in your classroom, in your teaching, would be my uh, last takeaway for, for today's recording. Yeah, great advice and uh, just great sentiments throughout of, you know, the compassion-based learning and teaching and uh you know, something for me, like, I, I just, you, you know, that kind of turn of phrase is something that I would, you know, in terms of my values, like, you know, if I were to ever teach like that, that's how I'd want to do it. And um, really just be yeah, empathetic and understanding of where the students that you're teaching are and ask them, you know, kind of like what they need from you, like, mm -hmm. how would they like to, you know, connect in those sort of things. And, you know, like you said, just not being presumptive, uh, because uh, even just the pivot I, I've seen recently of like just pivoting your office hours to be on Zoom so people can just like pop in and do it, you know, from home or whatever. It's less intimidating of navigating campus buildings and, you know, uh, waiting in line to get into the office and it's that person's office and sort of like power dynamics and those sort of things like that idea of like, well, I mean, I always like went to my professor's office hours like it was fine. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> uh, just like you said, like not uh, necessarily maybe the best way anymore, but yeah, such great advice and appreciate all that you've shared and you giving some of your time here and uh, all the resources that you've created and will continue to create and everything. So uh, Ava, just thank you so much again for your time and uh, yeah, really appreciate all the insights. Thank you so much for having me, Dustin. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek podcast.